What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. And on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are, guys, on episode number 43. Last week, I was talking about the importance of having a mentor. And this week, I'm actually going to be talking about various trends and predictions that I am seeing and the risks and opportunities that are presenting themselves from shifts in consumer behavior, driven a lot by the pandemic, obviously. But also there are sort of big trends in technology and innovation in general that seem to be kind of making um, things change. Um, what I wanted to go into first usual little update is the Facebook group is now at 260 members. I admitted another member just yesterday and we are um, we're kind of starting conversations in there. So anyone who is listening to this who would like to reach out and connect with me, um, introduce topics of discussion, whatever it is you might be interested in covering here in the podcast, that is the best way to get in contact with me. So if you join the group, it's called Behind the Facade Community and it's in Facebook and that way we connect. And I try to do a weekly live video in there. Um, I, I usually welcome new members and in a separate video and I'll also kind of introduce, say, the topic or the theme of the week. And this week I'm looking at trends, predictions, risks, opportunities and shifts in consumer behavior. Uh, I've done it again, guys. It is Sunday evening and I'm hitting record at 10.15 p.m. Would you believe this is crazy stuff? It's just so busy in work at the moment, uh, but I am committed to this podcast. And so tomorrow at 5 a.m. this podcast will be live. And those of you who are the early birds that like to listen to it first thing on Monday morning, it, this will be for you guys. Now, just another little update, Clubhouse. I've been talking about Clubhouse a lot in recent days and in recent episodes, and it is really on fire at the moment. And uh, by the way, my num my name, if you are looking to connect with me in Clubhouse, is at Gavin J. Gallagher, which is pretty much my handle for everything in social media and all of that. Guys, I have five invites to give away. And uh, I just received them. I kind of it seems like I get three or four invites during the week and I usually get another five or so on Sunday. So I don't know why it is. Um, it, they're just I guess they have some sort of a schedule and everyone gets the same. But I have five invites and uh, I would like my listeners to be the benefit beneficiaries of these invites. So if you are interested in having uh, a clubhouse invitation, definitely send me a message. Get a message to me on social media. I don't really care how you do it. Just get it to me and the message should be, Hi Gavin, I would love a Clubhouse invite confirming that you have an iPhone because at the moment it's only available on iPhone and then you send me your mobile number that is associated with that iPhone. I, as I said last week, I'm not interested in your phone number. I'm not going to be connecting with you after this unless you want me to, but I'm not looking to spam anyone. This is just the only way that you're able to connect um, on a clubhouse is using your mobile phone. It's um, In fact, I've been reading something about 
people's privacy and all of that kind of stuff. And that may be an issue for Clubhouse in the uh, in the near future in terms of GDPR and stuff. But at the moment, I'm not worrying about that. I am just looking at the incredible growth of the platform and the numbers of followers and the knock on impact. If I just just to sort of point out, I've actually now a two thousand two hundred followers um, and I'm about to hit two. 2300 followers um, it's kind of it's it's just going up so fast and a lot of those same followers are going straight through and following me on instagram so my instagram has gone it just keeps on going up and it's it's crazy i've never seen anything like it so if anything if, if you just guys if you just want to you know grow your instagram clubhouse is a good reason to uh, join just for that reason because it connects you uh, people who are on clubhouse at the bottom there's always a connection to your your twitter profile and your instagram profile and and my habit tends to be that i will go down if i'm following you in clubhouse i'll follow your instagram and your and your uh, twitter as well one of the topics that um, came up in clubhouse this week and i was in quite a few different rooms and there's some really, really interesting discussions going on, some real domain expertise out there. And you can listen into any kind of area that you want. There's guys from the US that are talking about US real estate matters. There's guys from the UK talking about UK real estate matters. I'm sure there's guys out there talking about Australian and various different languages um, that I'm not privy to. But the Irish market is kind of small at the moment. I haven't heard too many discussions in that regard, but certainly the UK, every every morning, it seems like seven days a week at 7 a.m., there's a thing called the uh, coffee hour, the property coffee hour, and that is a UK-focused discussion. And then I know there's other, there's mortgage brokers and stuff in the UK, in the US that are putting on a fairly regular discussion. So if you guys just want to go in and listen to what's going on, you can pick up a lot of knowledge and expertise and stuff. And that is how I came up with the topic here today. Trends and predictions. Um, these are all things that I actually picked up just listening to questions and questions that were being put to the room. And I jumped in and I answered a couple of people's questions. And I thought I took a note of these and sort of said, you know, this would actually be pretty interesting stuff for you guys, the listeners. So where do we begin? Well, I think... Uh, this is a topic that I, I could go super deep with, um, but I'm not going to go too deep because apart from the, the time of night that it is, there are just so many scenarios that, you know, you could basically create this endless loop. And um, I'm just going to go into the ones that are kind of most important as far as I'm concerned. First of all, let's talk about the economic impacts of the current situation. COVID-19 has done massive, massive damage to the economy job losses, business closures, entire industries like retail, food and beverage, hotels, all of that, those are all in major you know, difficulty at the moment. And apart from that uh, particular sort of issue, you've also got the major stores that were already under attack from the internet stuff. And so companies like Debenhams, House of Fraser, Toys R Us, like there's, there's just dozens and dozens of names of companies out there that have gone wallop that were enormously successful businesses for decades and suddenly they're gone. And so obviously retail as a sector is on the out. But the question is, is it really? 
I mean, if you just have to take a look at the Apple store around the world, and those are incredibly profitable businesses in their own right. And they're a huge contributor to the bottom line for Apple. And you have to wonder if Apple can make it work, then what are people doing wrong? And how can um, these other businesses make it work? When the pandemic is over, are we all going to go crazy and go out shopping visiting the stores in the city centre, going to bars, clubs, restaurants. Like the, one of the questions is, is there actually going to be a boom when this pandemic comes to an end? That's a big if. Uh, it's a big, you know, what if. Um, it's very hard to work out. The other alternative to that is that consumer behaviour has changed permanently and there's no going back to how it was. And certainly retail that has been the case for many years and I've told you the situation before that Blockbuster was an area, was a, um, a retail store. It was very popular back in the beginning of the 2000s and I was going after those guys trying to kind of find stores for them to go into and Blockbuster wasn't, you know, more than 10 years later they were gone. They, you know, the entire business, it was worth billions and it had thousands and thousands of employees all around the world. And a decade later, it was just a distant memory and had folded up and gone bankrupt. And what's incredible is I can remember reading about the the president or the CEO of Blockbuster. I think he was paid $64 million salary and bonuses and all that in, you know, the year before they started to experience troubles. And this guy was asleep at the wheel. And this was the same year that Netflix approached um, Reed Hastings approached um, Blockbuster with Netflix and basically offered to merge with them. And he wanted to sell um, Netflix to Blockbuster for 50 million at the time. And they laughed him out of the building. They basically told him, you know, we're going to crush you, you know, just watch. And sure enough, it was the other way around. And today, Reed Hastings is a, you know, multi-billionaire and the the business is just a, a Goliath uh, in the in the you know in the media space, and sure enough, Blockbuster had an opportunity to buy it, but they're they were asleep at the wheel, and um, so these kind of consumer trends and behaviors and stuff can really shift industries, and it's so it's something that I kind of watch quite a lot, and I wonder about the retail sector. I'm wondering what's going to happen. Um, is there going to be a shift to a new type of retail? that, for example, Apple seems to have figured out and it seems to be kind of an experience more than uh, a shopping, um, a standard kind of a shopping thing. If you go into, like, they call it click and collect now and there's, you know, you can go into the store and you can try on the thing that you like and then if you like it, that's it. You click on it and you buy it and they'll deliver it to you. They don't, you don't walk out with shopping bags and stuff. This seems to be the way it's going. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to the, um, what happens to the retail sector. Also, who is going to pay for all of this, all of these billions and billions in stimulus and relief packages that are being pumped into the economy by the governments? I mean, the end of the day, that all has to be paid back. These billions were not expected to be paid out. If you go back, I mean, at two years now, people would have had, you know, the next five year, the budget's plan for the next five years. That has all been torn up and thrown away. These la- this last 12 months has fundamentally changed 
government sort of economic situation and you you know government cannot borrow money endlessly without consequences and you only have to look at the the economy in Greece and what they went through they they got into this sort of disastrous borrowing situation where they could you know the the local governments could borrow as much as they wanted and they paid big fat salaries to all of the all of the um, civil servants and they paid big you know pensions and all of this and then suddenly the music stops and somebody has to pay for this and the consequences are usually massive austerity which is extremely unpopular for the um, for the people who live there and who have to pay the taxes to kind of pay all of this stuff so the question is who is going to pay for all of this stimulus and i i definitely think taxes are going to shoot up but it's going to be very unpopular you're probably going to see governments changing because of the unpopularity but somebody has to pay at some stage and that throws a big amount of uncertainty into the mix um the other positive side i suppose in one sense is that if we are all real estate investors property investors then all of this stimulus that's circulating all this extra cash that's been pumped into the markets could trigger inflation which will ultimately push up asset prices and so you really need a crystal ball you know to figure all this stuff out anyway i'm going to leave the you know the discussion on the economy behind let's talk about some of these trends you've got um obviously clubhouse a lot of talk on clubhouse about commercial to residential conversion and uh, definitely i think there's you know you're going to see a lot of that and i've actually been listening to conversations about even small shopping centers that are anchored by say a big retailer whether it's you know tesco or dun stores or you know whoever it would be in whatever country you're operating in um where they the the business the all of the small little stores all close up and actually go out of business and you but you have the anchor store that sells food and that is the store that continues to operate and in a sense the the people who own the shopping center it doesn't make much sense to continue holding a shopping center that only has the anchor tenant and none of the other smaller shops and restaurants and bars and cafes and whatever it is that you know was there when it was designed originally and so what is happening i've heard and this is quite interesting is that the big stores that is anchoring it are actually joining forces with the developer and they're starting to work together in figuring out how to extract the most value because you can't close down those shopping centers without either paying off the the big retailer or joining forces with them and giving them a share of the profits or something so it does seem like there are some plans afoot to do that kind of thing um now it's going to be limited enough because first of all take it take a high street um in a in a town or or whatever there's going to be a lot of resistance from the planning authorities to shutting down you know the existing high street you're you know you've got a lot of life that you know pours out into the high street you've got cafes and food and beverage restaurants shops uh, all of that stuff is what makes a town work and so i can see there being huge resistance to plans to convert that into residential you'll probably be allowed to do residential above but i do not think that the 
ground floor unit is going to be turned into residential because it kind of makes it a blank. Um, it, it just blanks out the street and it kind of destroys the life and soul of a village centre or a town centre. So I think there's going to be a limited opportunity in that kind of area. And then obviously I've talked about shopping centres and malls. The other thick question is retail parks. What's going to happen to them if they are not surviving? You know, there are places like obviously Toys R Us is one example of a big sort of retail store that went out of business. And I'm sure there's many other examples, but retail parks tend not to be very easy to convert into residential because of the planning uh, laws and the zoning and stuff. So what are the alternative uses that you can think of to do with those kind of businesses? And the vacant shop in the high street, It's if it can't be converted into residential, what can it be converted into? And one of the thoughts that I've had in, in my own, just looking around at opportunities that are out there, is the possibility of converting stuff into co-working or flex office space. So if you think about this from the point of view of um, you know, shopping centers that have a large number of units that are closed. I actually saw this in my hometown here in Dublin and there, there's a place called CHQ. And back during the recession, CHQ was this beautifully restored old, um, I think it was, it was an old warehouse. I think it was a place that they stored bonded goods and uh, you know go, dating back to the 1700s or something this was a bonded warehouse and they what they did is they gave it a completely fresh look and turned it into a retail center and there was lots of shops that were there for people to rent and unfortunately they got the timing wrong and when the um when the economy sort of sank they just could not get this place so i think it cost 40 million euro to restore this building and in the end Along came somebody who with deep pockets and he bought it for 10 million. So he got it at one quarter of the cost of what it you know cost to build it out. And the f- what he actually did, this this investor, I'm not going to use his name, but he actually went to a co-working operator um, called Dogpatch Labs and they put this co-working operation in on the ground floor. And it was extremely successful because A, it was city centre located um, but also it was a really kind of cool building and, you know, quite modern, um, but it was a restored old building. So it just had that kind of cool look about it and um, a lot of tech kind of entrepreneurs and startup founders and things all wanted to kind of work in this hub and it became very, very popular. And naturally enough, when people are working in a place like that what do they want to do they want to go out and they want to get a coffee they want to buy some lunch they want to do all of these things and so they were the stimulus that actually created the need for costa coffee to open up and for various sandwich bars to open up and now if you step into that place it's a bustling place um all of the stores are in use there's lots of different restaurant outlets and things like that now obviously covid might have knocked that i haven't been around there in, in a while but it was really doing well and uh, Dogpatch Labs, the, the co-working outfit that were there, actually doubled the size of their, uh, they went into the floor above, which is a mezzanine, and they took the floor below in the basement. So it's really interesting to see how something like co-working actually created the life that actually generated all of the other business. 
And so and all, and then on top of that, I think that flex office is going to become more and more popular in regional areas. So that was a city centre location in Dublin. But now that you've got the pandemic shifting so many people and the way we work, so it'll be working from home is not that attractive if you've got a very small home and you don't have like an area to work. But working near to home does seem like it's going to become more and more popular. And I think what a lot of big corporates are starting to look at is having their sort of central headquarters in the city centre, but then having a number of either satellite offices or they'll enter into agreements to rent desks or, you know, offices in flex locations that are near to where their staff live. So you could end up with places that are kind of on the commuter belt that people can go to that are only like 15 minutes from home instead of having to drive or take a train for an hour or two every morning. I think that's going to be a shift and um, I'm definitely one that would kind of believe that. By the way, don't just assume that you can open up your own flex office with and, and, and it's a simple enough thing to do. It isn't. There is a whole new skill set there that's required that you need to learn. It's kind of hospitality um, there's customer acquisition. There's a whole load of areas. And I would refer you to episode 29 of this podcast where I spoke with Adam Blasky, who built a company called uh, the London Clubhouse or Clubhouse London. And no no relation to the app that we're talking about on the phone these days. It was actually a kind of upmarket co-working place. And it was very popular. I was a member there for a year or two when I lived in London. <laughs> Another behavioral shift that is taking um, everything by storm is ghost kitchens. And uh, they're also known as dark kitchens or virtual kitchens. These are essentially professional kitchens uh, that just do not have the dining facilities or the seating areas or the front of house operations. And so just think about a big professional kitchen that you'd have in a restaurant Uh, just no restaurant attached to it. And what they do is they're exclusively for delivery and it has become a huge business in the US. So, I mean, obviously, if you're listening from the US, this is already there. You're not going to be, you know, noticing anything new, but I don't think it is as big in the UK or Ireland. And uh, and I'm not sure about Australia and anyone else who's listening here. By the way, if I'm getting this wrong and if there's a load of them out there, please do let me know because I am curious. But one person who saw this about a, about two years ago was Travis Kalanak. And anyone who's into technology and stuff will know that name because he was the founder and CEO of Uber until he was kind of pushed out because of all of this sort of controversy surrounding him. But he, I think he got some a couple of billion for his shares in Uber when he got out and he has invested $130 million in his ghost kitchen startup, and it's called Cloud Kitchens. And he spent that $130 million setting up in 40 different locations. And it's a kind of white label brand. So you can go in there and you can, you know, you can basically sign an agreement with these guys, give them a menu, and then they will produce food for you according to your menu. And you can go off then and you can set up your food and beverage business and all you need to worry about is the brand and the marketing and the ordering and delivery you don't need to worry about the cooking aspect all of that is fulfilled by the ghost kitchen operator so it's really interesting and um, it's basically the food prep is done by others and so 
food prep as a service, you could call it. Um, I'll tell you what's really interesting, and this is where this is this is where it can be done by complete novices in the restaurant game. There is a YouTuber called Mr. Beast. Now, anyone who is not into YouTube and not familiar with the different names will never have heard this guy, but he's actually a massive, massive um, name in the YouTube community with over 50 million subscribers. And they a lot of people speculate that he may become the first billionaire on YouTube because he's just that popular. And what he did in in November last, so only a couple of months ago, he announced that he was going to open a burger, a burger, you know, restaurant business, and it was going to be called Mr. Beef, Mr. Beast Burger, and it was going to be a delivery only restaurant service. And within a month, he had set up the business with 300 locations and an app on the phone. And in December, uh, just passed. He went out and in 300 different locations around the US, he opened up and it was in massive demand. They actually had like queues of cars waiting at the uh, ghost kitchens in order to collect the food. And so that has been massively popular, massively successful. Obviously, he's got the distribution using his his massive voice uh, and his reach on YouTube. And so he has that's probably going to be one of the biggest um, food and beverage stories of 2020 or 2021. So the question is, could you find vacant, unwanted commercial properties that can be repurposed into a ghost kitchen? Maybe it's that. Maybe that's an opportunity. Another area I'm going to talk about now relates to it's another delivery-related um, aspect of the behavioral changes, and that is last-mile fulfillment. So we all know Amazon, and we've all been ordering from Amazon for years at this stage. Well, logistically, Amazon have been opening up huge warehouses on the outskirts of towns, and they they what they do is they are their main distribution centers, and those warehouses would serve maybe smaller warehouses that are further out into the community. But as the demand for same-day deliveries grows, you're going to start seeing micro warehousing popping up in city centers around the world now at the moment certainly in ireland if you order from amazon usually it's about a day or two before you actually receive your um, your product or whatever it is you ordered however in cities like new york where there's real dense cities and i think probably this is the same in london as well you order from amazon and literally two hours later there's a knock at your door and they're delivering it right to you now this is something that is going to be rolled out by Amazon around the world, but it's it's going to take some time because that aspect is something that they're working on, the last mile fulfillment. It's very, very hard to do it unless you start opening, opening up thousands of units around the place. And like, as we talked about with Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast Burger, 300 locations they were able to, able to open in the space of a month. Um, if you're able to, if Amazon is able to grow at the rate that it's growing, I think they're adding something like a thousand employees a week or something like that. It's it's absolutely incredible the growth that they are growing at the moment. And that is probably also going to um, be that same amount of growth is going to be in the micro warehousing. But that is just Amazon. They They might do their own thing, but how many other 
businesses out there are going to be looking to do this. I can imagine quite a few because if you can't compete with that kind of delivery service in one to two hours, then it it's a threat to your business. So I can see a lot of people looking for micro warehousing. And uh, so I don't know, is that an opportunity? Could be something to, to give some thought to. Then what else? Another trend. Oh, yes, this is one of my favorites uh, to rant about, and that is carbon reduction and energy efficiency. Going green is going to be big business, in my opinion. And uh, just to give you an example, a pal of mine, he's an architect and he had his own architectural firm a couple of years ago and he decided he was going to change the focus of the practice from just typical architecture to completely focused on green. And he even used the name green in his. um, So the business is now something green rather than the usual kind of architects or whatever. And um, he's actually received a huge amount of big corporate jobs off the back of it because the big corporate occupiers are now starting to look at this in a big way. And just so happens that they've got the money to spend on it and they do want it to be sort of modern technology, innovation led and environmentally friendly. So I think that is a big opportunity. And what's happened in Copenhagen in Denmark they announced a couple of years ago that they were going to be the first carbon neutral city in the world by 2025. Now, that's only four years away. So that is not going to, you know, that is not going to go unnoticed. I think there's going to be a lot more cities and countries that will follow suit. It will be unpopular in many cases because it, it will put pressure on people. But it's also going to be very popular with the younger um, community. And uh, I think, you know, teenagers and, and things like that, this is all becoming a major focus for them. So I do think it's going to actually be politically um, something that needs to be done. And it'll actually pitch young people against older people who are holders of assets who may have to start making changes to their assets in order to make them more environmentally friendly. So I do think this is necessary because I think climate change is a big risk to us all. And we all ignored, I mean, when I say we, I mean, the society in general was was warned by scientists of the risks of a flu-borne virus or a pandemic. And, you know, Bill Gates was warning us about this six years ago, and he actually did a TED talk about it. And people just heard him and then just ignored it. And what has it cost us as a society? It has cost trillions and it's it's beyond anyone's imagination how costly this pandemic has been. And at the time, people thought, well, you know, what's the chance of a pandemic? Why would we spend money trying to kind of sort a problem before it actually is a problem? Well, now look at the cost and you actually wonder. They say that it would only have cost something like 5% of what it has cost us now to fix the pandemic issues. And that 5% looks pretty cheap now. But at the time, people were thinking, sure, maybe we can do without spending the 5% at all. Cost of inaction is just really, really expensive. And it's like the insurance policy that you wish you had after you've got a problem. Um, You know, at the time, it looks expensive. It looks like it might be an expense that you could avoid. But as COVID has shown us, if you ignore what scientists are warning, you usually live to regret it. And so what are they all warning us about for the last 20 years? They're warning us about climate change. They're warning us about sea level rises 
and the melting of the ice caps and the death of you know the um, biosphere or whatever you want to call it there's, a, there's just going to be a huge cost and when this starts to actually become more and more evident and um, for whatever you know whatever way that takes form whether it's larger storms more costly hurricanes um, maybe it's you know warmer winter or warmer summers and winters and um, and when it starts to look like this is actually going to have a really big cost that's when there'll be this sudden you know uh, like whiplash for all of us out there when we're suddenly reminded that now we have to go and do all of this and i think what's going to what is this going to mean to you and i the kind of the average person i think it's going to mean that expensive retrofits of uh, your rental properties are quite likely and by that i mean like new heating systems for one if you look at the heating system that you've got in your rental properties at the moment or your home at the moment most likely it's gas fired central heating could be oil fired central heating both of those are going to be banned in the coming years and when i say coming years like a year from now oil fired will be out uh, will be outlawed and gas i think in two or three years and it'll be illegal to sell that stuff and you can be sure that and I, i've seen this with air conditioning equipment in buildings that that i manage they st- when, when they stop making the stuff they also stop making the parts for the stuff that you have so if you have a problem with your gas fired central heating in three or four years time there won't be parts available to repair it and you'll have to go and replace it so bear that in mind also insulation standards are going to be increasing and you might have to retrofit your house windows doors solar panels on roofs fireplaces that let all the you know the draft go up i think in the next two decades literally billions are going to be spent on this and so it's a risk to you as a landlord but also it's a massive opportunity for people out there who want to look at a business that um, has prospects good prospects and i would have thought that that is definitely one so okay right guys it's let me see looking at the time it's now 10 45 i think i'm going to wind it up um i've got some homework for you guys to do i would like you to go out and just open your eyes to these changes these trends and these shifts in consumer behavior and just look around when you're walking around what is going to happen to the buildings that you're looking at every day that you pass by and can you get out ahead of these changes can you be the person who takes advantage look out um, for properties that nobody wants at the moment that are sitting on the market for ages because you know they've been left behind by these trends or whatever maybe it's a retail unit maybe it's uh, you know some unit that is damaged by you know innovation is that possibly something you could repurpose and you know anyway i just think it's these are exercises that are good and you know if nothing comes of it well you you know it didn't cost you anything but it is worth considering and um, final sort of point is that there's a huge amount of uncertainty out there and it could make you want uh, or be inclined to do nothing but the reality is is during these times of uncertainty that is when fortunes are made and they're also lost if you happen to be the person in the wrong sort of um part of the economy but i do think that this this uncertainty out there is going to be a massive massive opportunity for some of us who are 
who spot these trends early and get in on. And um, the question is, are you going to be an innovator and be one of these people who's riding this technology wave or this innovation wave? Or are you going to be one of the guys that are getting washed out and washed out to sea by this big wave of change? And are you going to be one of those kind of guys that's trying to hold on to the past? Or are you going to be the trend setter that is um, in front of it? So that's it for episode 43 of Behind the Facade. Thank you so much for listening. As always, my number one ask is for you to leave a review on the platform that you're listening or indeed just to share this one episode with somebody else who you think might benefit from it. In the show notes, I will put a link to episode 29 of the um, podcast. And if you've got any other questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media using the handle Gavin J. Gallagher. And that includes YouTube, where I am starting to focus um, my... I'm starting to look at YouTube uh, a little bit more seriously. I'm going to start uploading videos there. So go and check out my YouTube channel, Gavin J. Gallagher. And uh, lastly, if you want to stay up to date with me, various um, events that uh, and my book and things like that, please add your name to my email list and you'll find that over at www.gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. All right, folks, hope you have a great week and speak soon. Mm -hmm.